This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Vimeo, the new home for 360 video. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. This week, we're kicking off our South by Southwest coverage on a particularly high note, and that's because this interview features the best voice we've ever had on the podcast in Nick Offerman, and also one of the best laughs we've ever had on the show in actress Trieste Kelly Dunn. They are joined by acclaimed indie director Bob Byington to discuss the creation of Infinity Baby, a film that premiered to uproarious laughter at the festival last week. The film is really a convergence of three separate narratives surrounding a corporation that sells a highly unusual product babies that never age. So while Byington may have made a name for himself with naturalistic movies like Seven Chinese Brothers, the surrealistic elements of Infinity Baby's plot act as a springboard to the intricate dialogue of screenwriter Owner Takel and grounded performances from Offerman, Kelly Dunn, and the rest of the cast. We talk about how script supervising may be the best training ground for directors, how Nick Offerman overcame being a quote-unquote bad actor, and how sometimes if you want to get your break in Hollywood, all you have to do is make sure you have fresh laundry. Cool. Well, all right. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves um, so that the audience can get familiar with your voices, and uh, then we'll take it from there. So starting with you, Bob. I'm Bob, uh, director, Byington, uh, Infinity Baby. Bob Byington. Uh, Nick, actor, producer, Offerman, Infinity Baby, Nick Offerman. <laughs> you got Put the needle on the record. The best podcast voice ever. <laughs> that's, that's a generous thing to say. Well, Nick does some voice work, as you may know. Yeah, best podcast voice we've had on the show, for sure. I, uh, did, I did do a brief campaign for Manwich. <laughs> That uh, I quite enjoyed. Do you remember what, your lines? Yeah, what is manwich? No, you know, oh, you don't know what manwich no. is? No. Oh, a sandwich is just a sandwich, oh. but a manwich is a meal. Okay. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they used to say when I was a kid on the commercials. And so I got the, I got the job. They, they were like, hey, do you want to do this? It was, I was working on Parks and Rec, and they said, literally, you, you would go across the street today to record this thing for whatever reason. And, you know, a bunch of money. And I was like, great. Yeah. I love that line. And I get in there and of course it's, they haven't said that line for 12 years. <laughs> so it was some, some lesser slogan. I'm no longer working for them. So I, I can disparage <laughs> Maybe, yeah. their advertising. Maybe above that level for now. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Trieste Dunn and I played Allison. Great. Okay. So let's uh, jump right in with, I guess my first question um, would be Bob for you. How did you get to the point where you were able to make this film? I know that you, uh, have a pretty big presence in the Austin community. Um, but did you go to film school? I, I don't think so. Right? No, not really. I went to graduate school in Austin in the early nineties for American studies and ended up spending most of my time doing RTF type things. So I didn't like the books that they asked me to read in American Studies. I spent my time goofing off in the RTF building. Okay. Radio, television. Yeah, what's RTF? What's F? Fucking. Firearms. <laughs> Radio, television, firearms. 
Welcome to Texas. Yeah, welcome to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what were some of those uh, uh, sources, I guess, that you used to teach yourself um, how to make this sort of independent film? Well, while I was cutting class at UT, I was uh, down at the cable station learning to edit on a one of the old tape to tape editor things, and also learning how to shoot stuff on a crappy old video camera. And I, I loved both of those processes. I was just a guy at that point who just liked the idea that you could like shoot something and then put it in a machine and mess around with like it was a very fundamental uh, relationship. And then I, um, I moved to Los Angeles shortly after that, having made a 16 millimeter black and white film and met Nick uh, on a film called Treasure Island. That was in the late 90s. What was your role on that film? I was the script supervisor. Oh, interesting. And, um, we called me the wow. script girl. That you, was actually my credit. You played a small role as well. I was in the film also, but um, the director had not had tons of experience with actors, and I had worked a little bit with actors, so I got to, he let me kind of interact with Nick and Pat Healy and some of the other actors, so was, that's, uh, and that we had a very extensive rehearsal process on that movie, so we all got to know each other really well. Well, the script supervisor is such an important role. I actually just came from a panel featuring all script supervisors, mm -hmm. and they talk about how uh, it's kind of a department in itself. Mm -hmm. So you're really getting all sorts of aspects of production and post-production. Um, is that something, I mean, that seems like it's something that's also carried throughout the rest of your work. Um, I think it's the best training ground for directing is script supervising, and I, I would probably trust any script supervisor who went on to direct. Really? How so? Why? Well, they just have to be on top of the stuff that the director has. Like when I was mm -hmm. script supervising, I was fond of saying that it was like directing, but then you didn't really take the movie home with you at night and like freak out about it. Mm -hmm. You were just like, I would walk to my, I did a couple other jobs. I would walk to my car and the movie would like fall to the ground out of my head. I didn't care at all. But then the next day it was my job to be on top of everything and really assist the director because the director can't think about a lot of the stuff that the script supervisor is supposed to think about and I loved it. Yeah, I, th I think the script supervisor is making a notation of the traffic. You know, they get to sit in one spot and they, I think, often roll their eyes at what's going on with the director or producers because they can they can see the economy on the page where they're they're like oh don't do it again or you know right and they'll know if you dropped a line they'll say, they'll tell the director oh you know Tress didn't say go get the male she said go get the female. Right, that's what I always think of when it's just them telling yeah. me to change my lines. And sometimes it's hard. <laughs> sometimes for a script, like I remember I told Hank Azaria that he had forgotten a line and he like almost bit my head off. Oh, and, really? Uh, you know, sweet guy, but he didn't want to hear some pipsqueak tell him like, right. about his performance. So. And, all, and also, it must be noted that the script supervisor is in charge of continuity. So they have to be so vigilant because... Uh, you know, even working at the highest professional levels, anybody will say they say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move the camera over here." It's a new idea, and everyone has to stop and think, "Okay, when did I take the drink of the water, mm -hmm. etc." And that's that's, that's the person you depend on for that information. That's so much stuff to remember. It's I mean, it's a ton, and especially when you get into like multi-camera projects and stuff too. Mm -hmm. It's just like you have all this different stuff to be taken care of. Um, so then, Nick. How did you guys kind of establish in a relationship on Treasure Island? Was it a professional thing? Like, did you just notice right away that 
you would be good collaborators or what was that process like? Um, I don't know. We, we, uh, I think it was in the rehearsal process where, and a lot of the actors were Chicago theater actors, thanks to our champion casting directors, Nicole Arbusto and Joy Dixon. And so uh, we were rehearsing in the filmmaker's living room. And so Bob was there with the script. And so it was very theatrical and, uh, I don't know, we uh, just had a camaraderie. We just kind of hit it off as friends and appreciators of language. Mm-hmm. Um, the you were f- also very actively involved with all the like the makeup and the wardrobe. You just got neck digs into everything. Huh. So It's true. I, uh, I made some prosthetic penises for the movie. <laughs> That's true. And um, I made some uh, lighting rig. Uh, and I also drove the art truck. Uh, for the San Francisco portion wow. of the shoot. Did you drive it to San Francisco? I did drive That's it impressive. to San Francisco. I'm only learning this now. So <laughs> did you kind of get into acting through production in that game, or were you... No, I got into acting. Uh, I went to theater school right. at the University of Illinois, and I sucked at acting. <laughs> I, I'm very grateful that I got in. I, I think legitimately it was a conservatory, and they took 16 students a year. And I really think... Uh, that that they needed a couple beefy guys to like carry the palanquin that the talented people would ride on and speak, because um, I I couldn't get cast in four years of college because I sucked. I mean I, I I'm not kidding. But w- while I was sucking, I learned that I already had the skills to build scenery and uh, I was very athletic. I was a uh, talented sword fighter and stage combatant and then I became a choreographer and so I had value to my peers and we formed a theater company in Chicago and so while I improved while I became less indecent at acting uh, I was able to make an income building scenery and I I was a makeup artist and um, I choreographed fights for big theater companies. I'd like to hear more about you not being a good actor, and, and not, I'm not trying to be funny, but I like thinking about you like not knowing what to do. Or I, do you have a, a perception of that? Yeah, I mean, I still uh, I I have always maintained a certain level of bucolic ignorance, and I've just learned to play upon it. But in those first four or five years, I saw it uh, as a disadvantage instead of a value. And so I would try to mask it, and I would try to simply act un, like someone cooler to my way of thinking than myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this hayseed from a little town is boring. I need to be super cool <laughs> if I want to get in this play. And so then I would try way too hard, I think is the simple way to put it. And eventually, in my theater company in Chicago, the Defiant Theater, uh, my, my best friend at the time, Joe Faust, was our main director, and he was a great coach and teacher to me. Uh, and he, we did a few plays where the lead role would be perfect for me, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't get the part from my best friend. And I would say, what's up, man? And he would say, You're, I, I have to cast the best actor. And, and it was harsh, but he was right, and I knew he was right. And eventually we did this play called The Quarantine, and he worked with me through the audition process. And I finally realized, <laughs> it's such a, it sounds so simple, but if I just act like myself. Yeah, no. That I was like, oh, naturalism. Oh, shit, I got it. <laughs> wow. I mean, now that we're getting into naturalism, I mean, to 
to move into just the infinity baby, cause I know you wanted to talk about it. I saw it last night. It was great. Um, it's such a naturalistic movie and it's also very, uh, theatrical in the sense of like stage play. And I think that's mostly because the, uh, the scenes are so dialogue heavy. Um, but most of your films are like that. What, what is the, what is the, and I don't want to use the term mumblecore because I don't think it's like a good term, but, um, this is obviously not a mumblecore film. No, it's not We're far away from that. Yeah. But, uh, but these are actors, you know, we hired such, such great actors on this movie and you, you, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely the fun part of the job is you get a good actor and they, they know the material and then you get to go in there and work and get the scene. And, um, that's the, certainly the single most rewarding part of the job. And, um, it's usually, I'm very interested in language and the script was a fun, I had seen Trieste in a movie that Orner had written and directed, and I was like, oh, she can do the thing. She can do the Orner thing. And so we wanted to hire her. Which what, I was very happy about. And what's that movie called? <laughs> it's called Applesauce. Applesauce. So oh, okay, Orner yeah. writes the longest scenes. His scenes are like eight to 12 pages. Yeah. So, I mean, he should could really write a play. Like some of his, like I feel like Applesauce could be a play almost. Um, but that must be challenging. How do you do eight page? I mean, did you? We just cut it back. I mean, back. like uh, that, the main thing we did with owner script was pull back some of the dialogue and just delete some of the, um, but it, there's, there's still dialogue heavy scenes and. But you shot it. You shot it kind of as is, didn't you? Well, no, did your you scene, like your big scene with Megan at the end uh-huh. was, was pretty much left largely untouched, but we cut, we cut a lot more of that scene you might think. Hmm. But it's still like a, what eight and a half nine minute scene. Yeah. So. Would you say that um, dialogue is sort of a key component in creating that naturalistic quality? I don't know. I just like. I mean, I know that. I know when it's it sounds right, and uh, that uh, Nick always like learns his lines, and he's fun to work with. And then you can kind of. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Um, and if you give Nick a script like Infinity Baby. And you say, well, I want you to play this part. He's usually going to know. I mean, if I think it's a good part, I think he's usually going to think it's a good part. That, that's where the, and I think that's safe. Is that safe to say? I think the, so. The language, the language part. We, we're attracted to language in a similar way is what I think I'm trying to say. I don't think you've ever sent me a role that I said, mm, I'm not sure what you're thinking here. Mm. But Neo was a very strange character on the page and, and was, in fact, I think, um, really grounded by Nick in a way, like even though the guy has um, got some problematic uh, ideas, I, th- I think Nick like humanizes him or I don't know, there's something about the way I haven't, having Nick play him that's, I don't want to say likable, like, but th- you just want to see what he's going to do, I think. Right. Well, I think it comes down to what you were just talking about, like being a successful actor in the first place is finding you know who you are and being able to trust that and bring it to your character life happens in 360 degrees and now on vimeo so do your videos now you can upload watch and even sell your 360 videos on vimeo vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy immersive adventures and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers plus vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels you can check out how to shoot, how to edit, and even roundups of the best 360 video gear. Join the new home for 360 video at vimeo.com 360.
So I guess I, I have to wrap up here, but I like to ask this question um, to all our guests, and that's uh, if you have any advice for any aspiring actors or filmmakers, what would your best nugget of advice be? Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Kill yourself. Kill, kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always encourage people to, uh, whatever it is that's weird about you, and I, and I equate that to the sense of humor I developed with my friends and siblings and cousins when I was a kid. Just the weirdness, the little characters you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always maintained, um, I've always protected that. And Megan talks about it too, my wife, the artistic goddess, Megan Mullally. Mm-hmm. Um, with Will and Grace, for example, she, uh, she, she would always go to auditions and have some weird idea where I'm going to try this funny voice or I'm going to walk funny. And most of the time, you know, the corporate mind looks at that and says, well, that's not what we were thinking. Get out of here. But that, but then that rare person with vision says, oh my God, you're unique. You could become Kramer (laughs) or, or what have you. And so I just encourage people to protect what it is that's unique about them and don't try to do what you think people want to see. Great. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say just do everything you can, like any job that you can do, like mm-hmm. student films. I did so many student films, and it was like it's it's really nice to work with people, especially when you're like not getting paid and it's just fun and nobody's going to see it because then you can really take risks. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're like doing a job and people are paying you, and it's like on a TV show or something, you feel like you have to be, you know, sort of in a straight jacket. Like Toe they the they line. really want you to do one thing just kind of say your lines and look pretty so like I like to do I like to do things where I'm not getting paid so I feel like I don't have to please everyone yeah like it's nice to not have to please people it's sort of liberating to just have that freedom yeah cool Bob uh how about you well can I use my answer to ask how you were cast like in a way like how were you how did you meet owner how you're cast on on his movies oh I met owner at this little film festival sidewalk film festival in Alabama which was great but like and you don't you just watch movies there and owner owner had seen me in a film before oh wait no owner and I met in a laundromat but how did he know (laughs) how did he know you'd be good in applesauce is what I'm asking I don't know so we we drank together and then we went to this like disco tech with like a bunch of people and we just got really drunk and we're laughing so hard at everything and he's like I'm gonna write you a movie Trieste we're gonna play husband and wife and then we did (laughs) he did it he actually and he was really worried at first I think he's like you don't you haven't done comedy like I'm really worried about you and I was like, that sucks. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, don't cast me that. And then he did. And I think he was, he was okay with it in the end. Was that the first time he'd ever met you that, that night at the, he had seen me in something before, but we, we, the, we both lived in Greenpoint, Brooklyn for a uh-huh. while. And yeah. we actually met at a laundromat at the, fir- the very first time uh-huh. he, he recognized me from this small indie film. But you were kind of an odd casting choice for applesauce I in was. a way, because, because yeah. the, the safer thing to do would be to hire like a slightly more seemingly comedic actor to pair with owner. Um, and yet it worked out. It, it was a really good choice. And well, we have a good, ca- I think owner and I just get along so good. Like I really just get, I, I don't know. And He's just I, a yeah. fun person. And then I, I, in turn, I thought that you could like do his material in this movie. And so I thought it was, it was a weird a, casting choice that you cast me. I thought that was a very brave casting well, choice. Well, it's a, yeah, but I just thought <laughs> that you got his language. Same with Jennifer Prediger, the woman on the couch mm-hmm. who they bring the baby to. She just gets owner. And so she knew how to do the language stuff in the movie. 
I couldn't see anyone else doing that. Right, role. right. Oh, well, yeah, thank no, you. Really. And the, the moral of all of this is if, if you want to get cast, then do your laundry. <laughs> do your laundry. <laughs> Damn, I'm And get drunk that. with filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. I guess I can I ask one more follow up question, which just uh, bounces off. Nick's. You're the one who said that it was almost over. And I know. Now you're, I mean, oh, well, because I, I was getting I was getting a, a, a time. Uh, we're having a, a delightful time. Don't just ignore Dixon. <laughs> I can't ignore Dixon. He's he's the man. Um, but I would just ask, you know, bouncing off what Nick said about sort of embracing that inner weirdness, um, how can you do that as a filmmaker? How can you, like, Make it maybe called Registered Sex Offender that puts you on the map. <laughs> cool. That's, that's 100% made from your heart, which is what Registered Sex Offender was for me. Great. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate nice talking it. to you. Thanks for listening. This is the first of many great South by Southwest interviews we have lined up for you in the next couple weeks. It was a really strong festival for movies and for filmmakers. And for that reason, I think we got some really strong podcast episodes coming out too. So be sure and come back here every Monday to check those out. And as always, we'll be back on Thursday in Brooklyn for Indie Film Weekly. Make sure and subscribe to the No Film School podcast. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter, and I'll see you on Thursday.